Father, we thank you this morning for your great, great love for us. The love that drove you to die on the cross at Calvary. The love that drew you to shed your blood in such a way that even in our own humanity, when you knew we would let you down, that blood still flows from Calvary to allow each and every one of us who will seek forgiveness and repentance to walk in your light. Father, we thank you that you covered all bases because you loved us. But we pray this morning, even as we end off this series on the believer's crimes, that, Lord, we will realize the need to respond to that great love and to live appropriately in honoring you for your glory and your honor. Lord, will you move among us this morning by allowing us to have open hearts and open ears? The Father, we would be, Lord, people who would be willing to learn from your word and actually act out your word. So, Father, we just pray that you will minister in this house this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Let's get settled and let's come to God's word this morning. Um, if you can turn with me to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. And as I say, we want to finish off the series that we've been doing over the summer. And um, this is the last part this morning of the believer's crimes. 1 Peter 5 and verse 1 to 4, and it says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering and also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eagerly to serve, not lording over those who entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, let me just recap, because I know some of you were on holiday and maybe you didn't catch the series, or uh, just let me explain why we're doing what we're doing. We started off by one Sunday morning preaching around the subject of the lake of fire. Now, church, that is not a subject any pastor cherishes to preach on. And the reason being is this, because God's heart for us, that he, he came to love us, that no one would perish, but all would have everlasting life. But the truth of it is, when God has done all that he can do to make a way that men and women will not perish, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, that is the only thing that is left for you. It's not because God loves, doesn't love you, your heart isn't for you, but if you reject his ultimate sacrifice of his great love, the only thing left is that lost eternity. But God in his great love over the years sent his son, sent servants out to preach to people that they would know that there's a better way. And that better way is to commit your life to Christ, to follow him, become a disciple of Jesus, and walk with him. 
that when you leave this scene of eternity, you walk right into his presence. Or on that day that we know, and this is what this series has been about, that Jesus Christ is coming for his church. And if he doesn't call you home before he comes, he's going to come and we will all stand before him on that day. Now, this is what we've learned. There's the great white throne. And those who have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will stand at that place. You will give an account of your life and you will be judged. But for those of us that are already believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be judged there because your sin was judged on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood that your sins would be forgiven. But Romans 14 and 10 says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Which means this, that every believer, they too will stand and they will give an account for themselves. They will not give an account for their sin, but they will give an account for what they have done for Jesus since they got saved. What have you done with your giftings? How have you served? How have you lived in that grace that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you? And we will all be called to give an account of that time. Now, what the Apostle Paul also taught us was this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, he taught us that when we get that launch pad, many years ago, we used to go to each other's meeting called the launch pad, and I could never work it out. I thought it was to do with a rocket or something. But it means that we have a launch pad for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us that salvation. That salvation is full and free. We cannot work for that. He has given us. But what he wants us to do is to build in that. And as believers, we can build with wood, hay, straw, or we can build with gold and silver and precious stones. And when we build with those things, we build for good things for our future. Raymond, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you to open that door again. Are you all warm? It's very warm, isn't it? Now, that's not a special effect because we're talking about hell this morning, okay? <laughs> well, you think you're warm now? Thank you, Raymond. The Bible tells us that we will either stand ashamed or confident on that day. Now, will you hear my heart once again, church, this morning? I have not done this series because I want to bring anybody into condemnation, but I want to bring us to that place where I inspire you as your pastor to encourage you to live in such a way that you will have something to give to Jesus when we stand before him on that day. And the Apostle Paul's encouraged us not to build with wood and straw, but hay, but to build with precious stuff, important stuff that is good to build our lives. But why then are we trying to do that? Because the Lord said in his word that he would give us these crimes as rewards. Now, as we talked about a few weeks ago, are they for us to have these crowns in our head to walk around going, see my diadem, <laughs> see my crown, my crown's bigger than yours, it's nicer than yours. No, it's not. The reason why we will get those crowns is because we want to have something in our hands to put at the feet of Jesus. We want to join the elders who will bow before him and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. We're not working for salvation, but we're working for these rewards that we can give out of adoration for all that Jesus has done for us. Now, sorry, I hope you're not getting bored by this wee illustration, but it's the best way I can say, have you ever gone to a party and nobody told you you had to bring a gift and you're standing there like a clampet thinking, oh, I am so embarrassed. 
for I have nothing to give this host. And on that day, church, I don't want any of us to be feeling that way, that we're embarrassed because we've nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. I want to inspire you as an East Point family that we work for the glory of God, that we can have something to lay at his feet to bring honor and glory to one who has loved us so much and has been so good to us and so faithful. We want to have something to lay at his feet. So here's a wee quick reminder of the crowns we've looked at so far. We looked at the crown of righteousness, and that's for those who love is appearing. Those who are waiting for him coming back. Now, that's not, remember the old saying about they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly use. That's not people walking around looking for the clouds going, oh, he's going to come, he's going to come, he's going to come, or keep on looking for him coming. It's people who have a realization that Jesus is coming, and when he comes, I want to be found faithful. So I'm going to live a holy life. Now, what do we mean by holy life? We mean a life that's set apart for him, a life that's all to do with him, a life that lives for him, that we set ourselves apart, realizing that we've been chosen vessels, called of God, so we're going to live separate to him, that he's the most important person to us. So it's all about him. That's living separate, a holy life. And we live a godly life. In other words, we do as God desires for us to do in our lifestyle. An incorruptible crown. That's for those who live a victorious life. Those that realize, as we all should realize, that when you were called to be saved, you were saved for purpose. And that purpose was to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you recall that you would live in such a way that you become like Jesus Christ. Do you know, in the early church, when they were called Christians, it was a slur. Do you remember there was a few wee words that we used to use? Maybe some people still use them today, and I'm not trying to be facetious this morning about, as we used to say, the other side. When we were in Scotland, we lived in the city of Perth, and we had a wee group of Americans who'd been on the Shankle Road working, and then they come over to Perth to stay with us. And we took them up Canoole Hill to look over the lovely River Tay, and I said to the guys, that's the River Tay. And when we fell, I said to me, sir, is that not what they call Catholics in Ireland? <laughs> no, that's not the word. <laughs> but when they were called Christians, it was a derogative term. And do you know what it meant? Little Christs. There's those little Christs. But the truth of the matter is, we are not just to be little Christ, we are to be big Christ. Christ should be shining in us and through us, and people should know that we are born again of the Spirit of God. If you were convicted today of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to arrest you and convict you? There are people who live a disciple life who will accept sacrifice to live and to serve God. They are people who are serious about the call. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I don't want to be caught shadow boxing. I want to be sincere about my faith. And then there's the crown of life for those who endure temptation and trial. Last week was our last night of summer school. And, and this verse came up, and I thought this was great. It just fits in so much with what we've been teaching as well. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ. See, there's a difference there. And we were taught this on Wednesday night, and you could have read over that very quickly, but we were, this was pointed out is Those who desire to live a godly life. See, there's some people they're saved and they're going to heaven and that's it. But this scripture says that there's those among the called of God who will desire to live a godly life. 
And if you desire to live a godly life, there's a good possibility you won't be persecuted for your faith. And what this crown here is, this crown of life, is those who are willing to go through the fire, who will take all the persecution because they love the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will get this crown of life. This crown is also for those, it says, that love the Lord, for those who will be faithful to the end. That tenacious spirit that will keep going in God, no matter what's thrown at you, no matter what your circumstances, that you'll keep faithful and you'll keep following the Lord. And then there's the crying of rejoicing. And I hope for East Pointers, this crying gets out more than once, again and again. This is the crying for those that have the goal to see many souls wander the kingdom of God. Amen. Church, let me tell you this, and I have no apologies for saying this this morning, but if we have not got at this stage of our Christian walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the most important things that any church can do is win people from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you don't know that that's our main priority, we're on the road to nowhere. And if you can't get that and you don't think that's important, let me tell you, any church that lives that way, that's the first nail in the coffin of that church. If we don't get what Jesus called us to do, to go into the world, to preach the good news and make disciples, if that's not a priority for our church, then we're going nowhere, church. We will, we will end up closing our doors. Do you know, every church loses 10% of their congregation every year just through people moving away, people passing away, all of those things. And if we're not working to bring people into the kingdom of God, you'll see that your church will get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But it's not about our church growing. It's about being obedient to the kingdom of God. And he says that we should to go and make disciples. And for those that see people coming to faith, there will be this crown of rejoicing. Here's a wee question. How are we doing so far? How are we doing in our walk? Are we living seriously in our faith? Are we trying to reach people? Are we living the way Jesus wants us to live? Church, I want to say it again. This is not about being condemnative, but this is about spurring us on to live appropriate and living the best we can for the one who's done so much for us. Now, here's our last one this morning. First Peter 5 and 4, we are told the final crown is the crown of glory. Now, you may be excused this morning as we read that and it starts talking to the under shepherds. You might think, oh, well, that's good. We can shut off now because the pastor's just going to be talking to himself and the elders. Well, I've news for you. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. Now, I may have the gifting to pastor and to teach and these their elders around me bless their hearts. They have that same gifting within them too. But we are all the priesthood of believers. So we should all be carrying this out in our lives. You know, when you read verses like this, yes, there's a certain aspect. Not every believer is going to have a gift of teaching or a gift of evangelism. But there's a lot in these scriptures. Some of the scriptures we're going to look at this morning that might seem it's only for those called for full-time ministry. But the truth is, they were being encouraged by Paul to teach the people to live this way too. It's not just one set of rules for the pastors and the rest of us live whatever way we want to live. Many, many, I'm going to embarrass my wee wife this morning. But many years ago, in one of the churches we led, when our boys were very small, a lady, well, I think deliberately said to one of our boys, told him off and said, I mean, you should know better, you're a pastor's son. 
Well, Donna wanted to do the ministry laying on hands. <laughs> and here's the reason why. As a Christian parent, why should our children live to a greater standard than all our children? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Because if we're all Christian parents and we're all teaching our children, we're teaching them all to live the same way. So why point out my children? All of our children should be the same. And all of us, as the family of God, we live to the same standard. There's no one standard for the pastor and the elders. And then the rest of us just live whatever way we live. The importance was the Apostle Paul was pointing this out to teach the people to live that same way. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. Thought you'd fallen asleep there. So we're, we're on the same page, okay? So what we teach this morning and what we're going to learn this morning isn't just for the elders of the church, it's for all of us. You see, I think we're all called to be leaders to a different degree. Some are leading in church, some are leading a small group, some are leading a Sunday school class or a kids' church. But you see, if you're a parent and you're living at home with your children, you're a leader. If you are a supervisor on a ward, you are a leader. If you have responsibility in your workplace for a group of other people, you are a leader. And what the Lord wants us to do is to lead in a way where we're bringing the life of God's word to life for those around about us. That they see Christ within us because we are challenged that we should live and walk and talk consistently that we lead people spiritually. That when our work colleagues don't know where to turn, that we're able to bring the word to them and share the word with them, that they know that there's a God in heaven who loves them. And we all have that responsibility to share God's word with people that people will know there's qualities here to teach us how to lead and lead well. Whether you be a kids worker, deacon, elder, father, youth connect leader, team leader, life group leader, and as I say, whether you're a leader on the ward, leader of the shift, God helps us to be able to lead people. And he wants us to do it for his honor, through his glory. Now here's the qualities of leadership. One is this, feed the flock, feed the flock of God, which is among you. The main function of anybody leading, and again, try and get this just out of your head, that it's just pastors here we're talking about. We're talking about all of us who have responsibility and influence over other people. And all of us, whether if you really think about it, all of us have kind of influence for good or bad over people. And it says, use the word to bring that influence. And you know, we teach here faithfully the best we can Sunday by Sunday. Do you know why? Because we want to see growth within you. We want to see maturity, stability, protection. We want to show you how to fight the enemy through warfare, through all, and all of it is based in God's word, the scripture. That's why we do books by books and we teach the way we teach. But we need to teach our children, our class, those under our car, those in our home, those of our work colleagues about how God is the answer to their lives. All the principles of scripture, how you can live to the best of your ability. But if you don't think you have a platform, you're badly mistaken. We don't need that platform or this platform to be able to teach or speak to people. Our lives should be an open book that reflect God's word in us. People should look to us and know that we have the answer because we've Christ. And that we can share from God's word into their lives for the difficulties that they face. 
But you know what our problem is? We're not teaching God's word. We're not learning God's word. We're not sharing God's word. We're not feeding on God's word to be able to feed for others. Oh, but that's the church's fault. The pastor's not preaching the word. Remember listening to a tape years ago and I could nearly feel the frustration of the poor pastor that was preaching and he was talking about how at times he felt like he had a big milk bottle on a Sunday morning and he was standing, he was doing this to try and feed the people. Church, we can only take you to a certain place. And we are very true to God's word here. We try to teach faithfully on our Wednesday nights. That's why our Wednesday nights and our life groups are so important because we try to break down what we're teaching on a Sunday morning, that you can take that and you can run with it. But you know something? I can take a hostage of water, but I can't make a drink. And there becomes a responsibility for us as believers when we have to realize, yes, the pastor can help by trying to explain the word of God the best, but there comes a place where we need to be mature in our faith and say, I need to dig in here myself. I need to take the word for myself. I need to think about the word. Hebrews 5, I was just reading this this morning. It says this in Hebrews 5. In fact, Though by the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not the solid food. Do you know, friends, believers in our days, they get saved and it's like, feed me. Do this for me. Do that for me. We're called to be disciples. Proactive about our faith, proactive in our calling, there comes a place where it's our responsibility. And when we stand before God and God sees us before the beam of sin, He won't be blaming me for you not growing spiritually. He'll be saying, What did you do to read the word? What did you do to walk with God? What did you do to take what I have told you and to plant that into your life? Now, I know I'm being a wee bit hard on you this morning. But it's because I love you. But what is it about the cults? How many is, now, we better honestly stay in the house this morning. How many of you is when the Mormons come to the door and do Jehovah's Witness, you hide behind the curtains? I remember when we were being, my mom used to make us do that. I'm thinking, this is our house, why are we hiding? But you know why? Because we know fine rightly, they know more than we know. And they can tie us in knots. And yet we hold the truth. And it's not because it's not there. Church, sometimes we have to be honest. We're like overfed babies. And we haven't processed it. We haven't worked it out. We want somebody else to feed us. We want somebody else to give us a wee word. But we don't want to get down before the Lord ourselves and open up the word and get a study aid and look at it ourselves and start living it out. We want somebody to lead us by the hand all the time and tell us what to do. But that's not true discipleship. True discipleship is when we come to that place ourselves and we start to dig deep and we start to take God's word and we start to operate and live in God's word and work out God's word in our life. And my prayer for us in this new season is this that we invite the Spirit of God to open our eyes, open our hearts, and drink the Word in. Make it a high priority in our lives. Why? Not just so that we can live in a better way, in a more honoring way, and knowing what God has for our lives, but as leaders, people of influence, 
people of power and authority that God has given, that we will actually use that to be signposts to people to lead other people in the way of God. Are you with me? Here's the second thing. Quality. We see here that these guys are told to serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willing. Are you excited to serve, church? Or do when your rota comes up, you go, oh, not again, I'm on again. Or somebody else could do it. Why is it always me? You know? Or do we serve with the one? Here's the Apostle Paul saying to those people that he's writing to, come on, serve with a willingness. Not to be coaxed or begged, but to do it with a full heart. A spiritual man and woman sees the responsibility of leadership and will do whatever, whenever, wherever, because they're not doing it for man, they're doing it for God. I don't know if Tesco still have it, but it used to be the, the staff used to wear big badges. And I think, what did it say? Glad to serve you. Glad to serve you. Scripture tells us in Psalms, we should serve the Lord with gladness. Are you willing to serve the house with gladness? Are you willing to serve one another because that's what God has called us to, a life of service? Remember, he took the cloth and he washed the disciples' oh, dirty, stinking feet, cheesy feet. When they should have served him, he led by example. And church, are we leading by example? Are we having that platform to show people that we're serving them because we love them, because we're being obedient, but we're doing it with gladness, because we're doing it to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because he did it for us. Do you know, remember I shared a wee story. I wasn't going to share it, but I am going to say it again. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were preaching this, I told you about it. It always sticks in my mind about this poor pastor and his wife. They came in touch with a, a, a pastor who really teaches master classes on leadership now. But I think at the time he was a pastor of a church and he stopped in a public house somewhere and there was this couple and turned out they used to be pastors. I said, then why are you doing this now? Do a couple said, we are tired of ringing and texting people, asking them to come to the meetings and get out and trying to inspire people to come to God's house. And see here, we have to ring a bell to get them to go at night time. They come of their own fruition. But we get tired and weary of trying to encourage people to do what God required of them to do. Church, let's not be a church like that. Let's be a people of God who see there's a bigger picture and want to serve one another and be involved in all that there is to be involved in, to serve God, to bring God honor and glory. And it says when we're serving, we shouldn't do it for dishonest gain, but eagerly, unselfishness. Not because want everybody to look at me and go, oh, look at him, he's doing this and he's doing that, or for anything to do with our glory or payment. Do you know, over the years, and do you remember when we used to have Sunday nights at the Palladium in church, when you always rolled in the guest singer? You know, there always had to be a guest singer on a Sunday night. Now, I'm not knocking up because we used to be guest singers as well. We would have went around the countryside with <laughs> Georgia, and we would have sang and did meetings and all the rest of it. But, you know, over the years as a pastor, I have come across people who are working full-time, 
And their first couple of questions is this, how many is going to be there? Because they're not going to come if they're only coming for a handful. And um, will our expenses be covered? Now, the Bible says a good workman's worth is higher. And that's biblical and that's the right thing to do. If somebody's preaching the gospel, you make sure they're okay financially. But if somebody else has got another source of income and are serving God by serving him another field of ministry, if that's their aim, now don't get me wrong, anybody comes to minister for us, we do minister to them that way. But somebody who asks me that, let me tell you, they don't get asked back again. What's their motivation? We should be serving for the king of glory. So as leaders, we need to feed people around us the word of God. We need to serve unselfishly. Notice verse 3 with me. A leader is not beyond or above anyone else, lording over them, but should be an example to those in his, his or her car. Exemplary lies. Leadership expressed in living. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. And let's read what it says here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll read from verse 2. And it says this. Now the overseer, to, to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness or violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And we must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage their own family, how can they take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He may also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, a deacon are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are also to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. Those who serve well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, let me remind you again. These are standards of those who lead in church. But remember, there's not a different standard for your life and their lives. We should all have the same standards. They were told to be like that, that they can reflect to you how you're supposed to be too. Okay, are we with me that way? Okay. So as a spiritual leader, we live a life that is example to those that we live among. And are, do we live in the world? Are we living in such a way that people see the difference? And it's easy, friends, to come to church and to look like we're all holy and we've got it together. But what about a Monday morning? Are we living our faith in such a way? It's easy to talk the talk and walk the walk when we're in church and cause people are all around us. But are we living that way Monday to Friday when we're in our workplace? Because that's the most important place. Our Betty shared a fantastic story with us and our study group said about a man that had a big influence on her life. She wasn't saved at the time. I think she was leading the crowd, to be honest with you. But they would all be standing with their coats on, their handbags to the ready. They get out the door when the light came on in the factory. 
to get away home early. But she talked about this man who became a missionary, am I right in saying? And she says he never left his bench until that red light came on. You see, that man, people might have looked at him and thought, oh, sucking up to the management. But that man was serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he knew not to rob his employer. He knew to do all things to the glory of God. And I'm sure as we talked about this, that I'm sure there was times he got persecuted for that, and everybody going, for goodness sake, would you not come with the rest of us? But this man was living with a new agenda, kingdom agenda. He was living faithful that nobody could then later on say to him, i sure you sneak off with the rest of us five minutes early because people are watching. And oftentimes they'll not say about the good you're doing, but they'll be the first to point out the wrong you did. Do you see how I'm trying to say to you this morning that you have a platform, that you have a bigger circle of influence than you think you have in your life, and that's why we need to live in a godly manner and a holy manner among those that we live and have influence over so that they can see Christ in us. Peter says, when you and I work to have these qualities in our lives, when Jesus comes, we will receive the crown of glory. When Jesus comes, we will find us faithful, feeding others, serving well, unselfishly living as good examples to those. You get the crown of glory. Will you give me another five minutes, church? I know I've taken a bit of time, but five minutes, because this is important. I know over the weeks, some of you have struggled. And when we've been preaching on some of these crimes, I think, I'll never get that crime. I've looked at it and thought to myself, <laughs> I'm out for that one. But are we? Do you know that scripture that talks about, again, I think it's in Peter, that the Lord waits for his coming so that there's more people can come to the kingdom? He's patient with, is not willing that any should perish. That's what the scripture says. But in the time of waiting, Jesus hasn't come yet. Is there time to redirect our hearts and our minds and our passions that we can make a difference today, that on that day we don't stand embarrassed? That in fact on that day we can change our... And here's why I believe, and they're too long to read, but I know you'll understand them. Matthew 21 to 15, that parable... Do you remember when the men were standing around looking for employment early in the morning and the master came and he said, the news come with me, I'll give you work today. And then he goes out in the late afternoon and there's a group of men standing and he says, you come with me today. I think he goes out maybe again and later in the day you come to me. And then it came to the pay time. And he gave the men who started at nine o'clock in the morning one denarius. And they were thinking, oh, it's a good day's pay. But then those that came later in the day, he turned around and he gave them one denarius as well. And they were raging. But sure, they only worked half a day. And the master said, but what's that to do with you if I want to be generous with these people? Then we read another parable in the next chapter, Matthew 21, about the father with two sons. And he says to one son, I want you to go and do this for me. And he says, yes, I'm going to go and do that. And he doesn't do it. And his other son says, I'm not doing that. But then relented in his heart, and then he went to do it. Which 
did the master appreciate more? And for some of us in our lives up to this stage, we have floated along in our faith. We didn't realize we were saved for purpose. We didn't really get stuck in to all God wanted to do. We haven't been reading the way God's word, the way we should read and studying to show ourselves approved workmen need not to be ashamed. There's time, church. That's what your read pastors telling you this morning. There's time. There's time for us to make a difference. There's time for us to reprove ourselves and to live differently. So that when we come to that day, we can bring glory and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has done so much for us. We can show him appreciation by laying down the crown of righteousness, the incorruptible crown, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory. I pray with you this morning as the worship team comes that in this new season that we live for Jesus with all our hearts that we look where we're weak maybe in our faithfulness to the things of God maybe in looking to see maybe we need to spend more time in prayer more time in the word maybe I need to give my life to reaching out to see other people coming to the kingdom of God going to say it one more time. Please believe my heart. I haven't preached this to condemn. I'm preaching it to inspire. You heard my heart before. I have this wee thing in my heart. I hope when we go and God calls us that we all get together and go forward as an East Point Church. As the family of God. I pray that we will have done all that we can to lay our crimes at the feet of Jesus. I don't want any of us to look embarrassed because we didn't live the way Jesus wanted us to live. Let's live with purpose, church. Let's live with his authority and power to see good things happen. And amen. Bless our Father, I pray for my family. Pray that we will live to honor you, to bring you glory, not just on that day, but now from now that we will live with a passion for you and the things that you want us to be passionate about. Help us to reorder our lives that we will be doing all that you were called to do. And there's no shame in asking how we do that. And Lord, we pray, Lord, this morning for anybody who's here today and maybe they just, they're not even at that stage yet where they've given their lives to you. May they just know how they're loved by you. And that the door is always open for them to surrender to you and that you will love them and take them to be your own. So bless us as we worship and we adore you. We pray that, Lord God, that we will give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Do hang back for a cup of tea, for coffee and donuts. And um, let's come and worship the Lord.